Welcome to The Witcher Lorecast, the show that explores the vast lore behind The Witcher games, show, and books. Witchers, welcome back to The Witcher Lorecast. This is your host, Tom, or Robots, and I have with me, Toasty, the uh, biggest, biggest, greatest fan of King Full Test. Toasty, welcome to the show. You are you well, are like you're like the guy the you're like the guy who like walks around behind King Foltis with like a big old trumpet that like you're his herald. I've seen you do this. What makes what makes King Foltis so such a don't don't make me start guy. quoting Damon Targaryen in this? Okay, <laughs> I will. <laughs> so yeah, so today's episode is about the wise King Foltis, and I hope you guys checked out last episode where we talked about Tamaria and uh, I. I mean, we didn't make up the title, The Wise King Foltis. That came from an actual quote. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's going to be the name Actually, of this episode. I mean, looking into it, he, he was, some things he was pretty wise. Other things. Not so much. Not so much. <laughs> and those other things, definitely what led to his downfall. <laughs> so Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, here, let's let's get into it. We're, we've got a bunch of details. We're going to go over all the details, how like the path of his life, what happens in the games as opposed to the books. So where do we start? So uh, King Foltis of Samaria, uh, also known as uh, Hrobost. Hrobost. I a, yeah, I believe that's a like a translation, a different kind of translation for his name. Um, like how like Yaskier versus Dandelion. I believe it's kind of the same thing for him. Okay. Um, status deceased, at least in the games. Um, his hair color, uh, which I thought this was interesting because I don't think I ever picked up on this detail. Um, in uh, canon or like in the books, it is red. But in the games, it is brown. Yeah, and uh, there are some other descriptors in the books that makes say that like he's uh, he's fair looking, like he's kind of attractive, but then like slim and fair looking. But then they like casted a guy who was completely not that for the TV show. Yeah, I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> um, yeah, he definitely like even and then like if you see him in like the games, he's so different from that dude too. Yeah, yeah. Um, his eye color is brown in the games um so i guess they just don't mention it in the the books mm-hmm. uh race human uh male uh he's tamarian and his coat of arms is the tamarian lilies which makes sense because um, he's the king yeah. of tamaria so yeah but yeah. he's also the specifically the latest king of tamaria so as the the coat of arms has already gone through its progression mm-hmm. like how we talked about in the the last episode right so um, so he's the king of tamaria but he has some other titles what are these other titles uh, there's a, quite a few. So, of course, King of Tamaria, the Prince of Sodden, Sovereign of Ponteria and Mahakam, Suzerain of Alander. That's a fancy. Senior, that's a fancy title, Suzerain. Yes, yes. Suzerain. It's yes. very fancy. It's Senior Protector of Brugga, Angren, and Riverdale. These are. This is like when you walk into the the like chamber hall for some like you know like all the kings and queens are getting together and they're like here comes the king of tamaria the prince of sodden sovereign of you know like and like the guy like goes through all your titles this is like what this is essentially the treatment that like viseris and rainier get every time they walk into a room right Uh, right they they (laughs) just list all all the titles every single one so uh specifically um 
just for a note, um, because he's obviously we talked about how Samaria is like surrounded on all sides by so many different things. Um, and he does have close relationships with a lot of um different areas. So his close relationship with Mahakam, of course, um, and he's kind of being like a vassal of Tamaria, then again, of course, does that. And then Pontaria, like uh, Pontar Valley River area. Um, And then, of course, all these smaller things. But more specifically, the one I wanted to mention was the Prince of Sodden. So his mother, uh, Sansia of Sodden, um, was like the not queen but like part of like the royal line mm. of of sodden and then married of course to his father and so it created kind of like that, that he, he got both titles he got king, over, both the yeah. king title and the prince title from two different lineages yeah yeah so kind of like if like you know the, going back to house of the dragon just because this stuff is so fitting um just like how the connection of like what rainier's children would have had even though they weren't legitimate, but like right. of like the relation to both the Valarians and the Targaryens right. and inheriting both of those things. So, yeah. um, and speaking of his mom, uh, move on to his family. Uh, so of course he's a member of the Tamarian dynasty. Uh, his parents, uh, were Sansi of Sodden, who's his mother and Medel, 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 uh, his father, um, his, partners um ada of tamaria who start getting into some targaryen level shit here here we go sister sweet (laughs) but also his lover nice yeah so we see this in the show obviously like they they talk about this during that specifically that chapter about the striga um right but also uh maria luisa la valetta who is another lover a late a later in life lover um his children are Ada the White, who is his daughter, um, who was the Striga. Um, and then Anais, Anais, Anais. Lavaletta, yeah. daughter, and Boosie Lavaletta. Boosie. That's a good name. Hey, Boosie. Come on, Boosie. What you doing? I feel that like it's makes me nickname. think of another word. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, who is his son. Um, he is also related to uh well his uh, sister <laughs> his sister <laughs> slash lover um right. eckhard who is his uh maternal uncle um meave who we talked about before in her stuff is her, his cousin he had a uh, close mm-hmm. relationship with her um jerkast of maribor who's a distant cousin and primasalvis donstessa was the distant cousin family mm-hmm. man family stuff in in all of these lineages and kingdoms and dukedoms and all of this stuff is all always complex so okay so what do we know about his life uh so starting with his early life um specifically talking about uh more of the details that we already know if you're familiar with the that the particular story about the Strigo. So, although unmarried, many rumors about Foltest's romantic status circulated. From an early age, the then prince created a great scandal in the royal court by having an affair with his own sister, Ada. After ascending to the throne, he was to marry Ada and make her his queen, mortally offending King Vitzimir II of Redania, who had retained who had arranged for Foltis to marry his daughter, Dalimira. Ada died soon after the birth of their daughter, however, and the marriage never eventuated. The, cir- the cursed child, 
possibly a curse by the courtier Ostrit who was in love with Ada, but also perhaps Fultz's mother or both. This is one um, of those one of those things where it's like it's left to the reader to determine what actually happened. And something is very highly suggested because Geralt has a certain suspicion, but like the, the actual facts of it are never fully revealed. Right. Right. So no, I do like the I, I kind of I don't know. I think it's both. <laughs> um, died shortly after birth or appeared to until she emerged as a Striga seven years later. The monster was so dangerous that Foltis was forced to move his residence elsewhere. The beast, however, remained a threat to all citizens living nearby. Foltis and his advisors summoned a multitude of magical professionals or knowing ones. Knowing ones. While, while most only offered a multitude of ways to kill the monster, one told of a possible ritual that could reverse the curse, sleeping within the Strigus sarcophagus till the third crowing of the rooster, as no one at the time could succeed, Foltis kept the Striga alive while arbitrarily sending for mages and sorceresses who might know how to reverse the spell. And right. then, of course, we get into specifically that storyline with Geralt curing the Striga. Mm-hmm. Um, which I specifically, uh, I, I'm going to recount all those events. I think we're all pretty yeah. familiar at this point. Yeah. And if you want to know more, we do have an episode on both that episode of the show mm-hmm. and the Striga uh, episode specifically. Right. Um, the uh, So after that, the affair between Foltis and his sister re- rendered him ineligible as a royal bachelor because any potential union would be tainted by the scandal. However, Foltis did not remain celibate for long, as most kings do. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, I mean, most humans are like, oh, I still need, I still got some needs here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, during the Second Northern War, he was secretly in love with Baroness Lavaletta. It is widely rumored that both the Baroness's younger children, Sunbusi and daughter Anais, are not the children of the old Baron Lavaletta, but the progeny of Foltis. Out of the White was officially regarded as the successor to the Temerian throne, but the girl was clearly impaired and disabled. Bummer. Bummer, dude. Yeah. So, uh, not necessarily the most wise decisions, even from the beginning of what we know about his story. Definitely when it came to um, what's inside his pants, he didn't make very many wise decisions. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, of course, being that he was the king of Temeria and there's well, we talk about this all the time, the wars between the northern kingdoms and Nilfgaard, he had something to do with that stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, of course, in 1263, during the first northern war, Foltis traveled with the Temerian army to Lower Sodden, where under the united leadership of King Vitsimir II of Redania, a great battle was fought and won against the invading Nilfgaardians. This is the first battle of Sodden. First battle, yeah, right. the, the battle of Sodden Hill. Right. Um, the war crippled the Temerian economy. So over the next few years, a surplus of cheap Nilfgaardian goods started entering the kingdom. These goods competed too highly with local artisan prices, and so Vitsimir II of Redania introduced Iostepuli, um, blocking the the movement of goods into his his kingdom to Nov- or to Novigrad, uh, blocking all merchandise routes, and looking for Temerian and Nilfgaardian wares to seize and resell within the city, hoping it would prevent the same issues that Temeri's economy was suffering from. Foltis responded by issuing the law in the cities of Itsima and Gorsvalin, knowing he couldn't close the southern borders 
preventing the movement of Novgardian's goods as it would anger the merchants killed. So even during this time, this is interesting because we talked a little bit about this last time, but this idea that even though he was the king, he didn't have just uh, carte blanche would be the, the term, like unlimited power to just do whatever he wanted. He had to take into consideration the needs of the people. And in this case, the merchants guild, because the, the way the world is at this point in the history of, of the continent, there's this middle class that has risen to power the same way it did in in lots of places in, in the world. And so mm-hmm. now the merchant class has some wealth and they have some influence. And so he can't just decide to do this because it would completely piss them off and then they would pack up and move somewhere else or stop selling their goods or do whatever which would tank the economy so it's mm-hmm. interesting like so, so in in that sense he was wise enough to make sure not to piss off a contingent of the population that was powerful enough to make things even more difficult for him but it was yeah, kind of a so. rock and a hard place kind of situation yeah but it, we i think we do kind of see as we like move forward past um his uh romantic youth of seeing that he does actually do, like as far as decisions go of like managing the kingdom political economic decisions pretty good it's just yeah just couldn't keep it in his pants man it's, that it's was in the his pants. <laughs> keep it in your pants buddy so in 1267, he was summoned to Haga by King Demovin III of Adern, along with the other leaders of the Northern Kingdoms, uh, Vitsimir II, Meev, and Hinsult. They discussed Emirvar Emery's invasion never ending and the idea of a counterattack. After the topic of the Scoia's Hell came up, Foltus vowed to clear them from the lands of Tamaria and Sodden within six months. That's bold. We know how stuff, yeah. how slow stuff moved in like kingdoms like this. Like, wow. Um, mm-hmm. While the other leaders believed Foltis had been searching for Siri as he wished to marry her to control Sintra, Meve knew about his relationship with Maria Luisa Lavaletta. The group quickly realized if Amir were to marry Siri, they would permanently lose Sintra to her royal blood. So they silently, silently agreed she needed to die. Foltis returned to Vitsima and sent messages to his vassals to collect soldiers for the army, preparing for the second war right so this is the this is the whole thing that um i mean a lot of this is the main thrust of the stories is what mm-hmm. is what's going to happen to siri and siri feels like everyone else is trying to determine what she's going to do you know she doesn't want to have to get forced into a marriage she knows that she probably will or murdered so that her title and and the claim to Sintra doesn't pass to somebody else and she's just too important in that way in a, like a political way but then she's also important because of the whole elder blood thing and all of that so this this is like his perspective and it makes sense he would it, it would attempt to marry her even though it's not for love it was for political gain he's a he's yeah. a powerful guy he wants more imagine, power like i mean with how many like lands he already controls in his area to add like i don't know how they would handle that if they just like they i mean i assuming how they kind of handle things like this in this in, in the continent i would assume disregard series title and he'd just be king of Sintra, but like at the at the lowest, maybe King Regent of Sintra, which is still right. right. I mean, right. <laughs> he controlled like the nearly the entire like south western chunk of the continent or the northern kingdoms. Yeah, so. it was uh, for all in all intents and purposes. Sintra was a very good plot of land. It was on the coast. It had a lot of resources. It was something that was considered highly prized. 
yeah, know, strategic so, like placement. It was yeah. kind of like I think they like a free pass for Novgaard to just go through like do do do. Yep. Um, yep. Uh, Foltus next traveled to Maribor, where in the city he received news delivered by Applegat from De- by Applegat from Demavend about a Durnian and Lyrian soldiers awaiting orders to attack the Imperials and begin the war. Uh, so of course we know uh, Meave went took the initiative on this fighting stuff and was like ready to just start start dueling. Uh, mm-hmm. Foltus responded by calling off the attack until the Grand Mage's conclave on Thaned was finished. As plans could change, and believing Ciri dead, also called off the search for her. By June, he had his quartermasters commission boatsmiths to build him an armada and launch them along the Bruga and Sodden, Sodden West Coast in embarkment and disembarkment drills. The two kings later joined forces to fight Nilfgaard in the Second War, but Amir of our Emrys was also prepared to fight and met their challenges blow for blow. Once the conflict came to a conclusion, he acted as one of the negotiators of the Peace Treaty of Sintra. Yeah, so uh, as we know, the Nilfgaardians have a lot of forces, and even though they were the aggressors, they their numbers were just very hard to repel. So, mm-hmm. yep. Well, that's that's the early stuff uh, coming up after the mid break. We've got some info about what happens in the Witcher games, which goes beyond just the setting of the books and, and the events of the books. So stay tuned for that. We've got to go thank our patrons. So we'll be right back. Very well. Let us get this over with. Something has infested my vineyard. Mm-hmm. Great. Let me go prepare my something oil then. So you might be wondering, what are you guys doing recording this, for, at least for the live audience here on, on Twitch, what are you guys doing recording a second episode this week? Well, we're actually recording two episodes today because Toasty's got some busy stuff coming up in the next few weeks, and we want to make sure that we can have the episodes ready to go for you guys. So if you're listening to the audio version, it's going to come out at a normal time. But this and the next episode are all recorded together, just so, you, so you're aware. So that said... If you signed up on the Patreon and you're waiting for your shout out, then you might have to wait a few more weeks for us to get back to the regular schedule in order to see who has signed up in the last few weeks because we can't we can't see the future. But we do have the list of all 20 patrons. Thank you so much for your support and our higher vampires who get shout outs every week. Ben of Tamaria and Jared M to thank. So thank you to all of you guys. And uh, if you are interested in getting ad-free episodes, T-shirts, joining us on future episodes of the show, stickers, all sorts of awesome stuff, check out all the different tiers. Go to patreon.com slash witcherlorecast for all of that. Also, we don't have any new reviews that came in because, again, we can't look into the future. But if you would like to help us out, leaving a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts would be amazing, and we will read those out on the future. Or leave a rating on Spotify. It's easy. Just scroll to the top and hit the little star button and give us five stars it helps a ton so that's what we got for the middle of the show let's get into some of the details from the witcher games here we go you smell of death and destiny heroics and heartbreak it's onion right yeah all right toasty we're back and we've got we've got the games to talk about Voltest shows up in the games, and uh, like you mentioned, it, like, kind of spoilery at the beginning, but it, it is a lore cast, so there's going to be spoilers. Uh, in the, he dies in the games. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a, in fact, it's one of the like key plot points at the beginning of The Witcher 2. Yep. Uh, so, starting, of course, with The Witcher 1, which, as we know, 
takes place uh, in and around Vitsima, uh, except for like the prologue and uh, Kermorin. Um, so we imagine that he's probably plays a pretty, uh, at least some sort of role in this. Pops up um, on occasion. Yeah. yeah. So uh, in the original game, we hear about the king far in advance of any actual meeting. Um, of course, people are going to talk about the king of their country. That's just how that right. works. Ah, the king's got some new <clears throat> laws. He's taking all the uh, grain or whatever. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's talk in the streets which suggests that the monarch is away, but a specific location is never indicated. Um, maybe he's visiting his uh, his baroness over there. You know, that's probably what he's doing. Probably. <clears throat> Uh, King Voltus only arrives in Chapter 5 in the midst of the raging conflict in the streets of Old Vitsima between the Scoitel and the Order of the Flaming Rose. Oh, uh, so the squirrels always causing problems. Prior to this point, he was away and had left others to govern in his stead, Velorad, for instance, and as we find out later, Dollar. Um, okay. And then we have a journal entry here uh, about him. Should, should I read it like his, uh, like his Herald? If you want to, go ahead. Yeah, because I th- I feel like that's who probably wrote these, right? Like his his biggest fan, like what I called probably. you at the beginning. Probably, yeah. like the guy that did the last one, right? Uh, right, the Tamarian right. one. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so it says, King Foltest is the ruler of Tamaria. He inspires both fear and respect in his subjects. Foltest rules with an iron fist. He is decisive and hot headed. Under his rule, Tamaria has become the most powerful of the northern kingdoms. The king left the city. Theoretically, Burgermeister Velorad is to rule in his stead. In practice, the decisions come from an entirely different source, which causes chaos in the city. Voltest returned to Vizima and began restoring order right away. He decided to put an end to the chaos and punish the culprits. It turned out that the king had a job for me, and my deeds influenced his plan. <laughs> So yeah, it's not actually his his, <laughs> his Stuart that does it. It's Geralt because this is coming from the journal of Geralt. Oh, okay. So wait, wait. This was Geralt's journal. Oh yeah. crap. Well, that makes it even funnier because that, that is but not. I was like, I'm just gonna let him. Ah oh, crap. This is gonna be great. That, well, that that voice totally. Does. Okay, should we do it in a Geralt voice? King Foltest is the ruler of Temeria. No, no, we don't. <laughs> no. Okay. Um, <laughs> So, uh, without obviously going into the huge specifics, um, Geralt is then given the quest to cure the Striga, his daughter, out of the white, who was basically relapsed from being the Striga before, because mm-hmm. we know Geralt killed her. I, I put cured, cured and cured. killed in the same yeah, sentence. Cured same her. Word. Cured her uh-huh. before, and then... Uh, because like you know it's a curse and that's kind of just how it is it she kind of relapses and he has to uh make the decision to either cure her again Mm -hmm. or kill her this time right now and the Uh, the real the real reason is they were writing the witcher one they were getting a lot of direct influence from the books and then they in the witcher one they just do a lot of retelling of the same stories over again but justify it in a later time period because Geralt isn't really dead and yada 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 so um Mm -hmm. right so it's, it's their way of basically doing all the highlights from the books and being like well this is a cool moment let's do this again and so they're just like, well, she uh, she came down with the, the curse again. So we're just going to basically do that thing all over again. So like how 
the Star Wars sequels were just retelling the story of the original trilogy. Yeah, yeah. But this one was more enjoyable. Yeah, kind of like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and 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 um, I don't think they even expected the games to be as popular as as they became. So it was like, well, nobody's the majority of our fan base is not going to have read the books, so we can just retell the best bits of the story and but put it in a different slightly different setting um mm-hmm. and so that's basically what they do here but if you were to say that this was canon and we've we clearly understand that there is book canon game canon and show canon they are very different things so in this sense yeah the thing does happen again and girl has to cure her yeah um and of course you obviously have the choice whether you can cure or kill her again or cure her again or kill her um and the really the only difference between those decisions are just being able to see that like despite what you might expect out of Foltest, he does actually care uh greatly for his daughter because he's very distraught if you right kill her and he's very overjoyed if you cure her right so right um moving on to the witcher 2 um having survived one assassination attempt at the hand of a mysterious killer Thanks to the timely intervention of Geralt of Rivia, the king keeps Geralt nearby as he regards Geralt as a sort of good luck charm. <laughs> Man, all these all these rulers of the Northern Kingdoms just want to keep Geralt around. It's true. He it's like, like pisses them off. Effective. He's really grumpy to them. He doesn't pay attention to them. He doesn't follow the directions. But in the end, he gets things done, and so they keep him around. The damn white knight syndrome that he suffers from gets right. into trouble all the time. <laughs> yep. uh, at the start of the game, Foltis is leading a civil war against Baroness Lavaletta to claim his bastard children. He is eventually assassinated by the Kingslayer or uh, Letho of Gulit, uh, and Geralt is accused of the crime. One of Foltis's most trusted agents, Vernon Roche, assists Geralt in finding the Kingslayer. Leaving no lawful heirs, Foltis assassination plunged Tamaria into the chaos of interregnum. The threat of a full-blown civil war between the nobility and the last remaining bastard child and her supporters. Uh, in the game, Foltis has changed significantly. His clothes and face are completely different. <laughs> From the first game. focused yeah. on the design and the art of the character. He appears more regal, colorful, and distinctive. He only briefly appears relative to the story in the tutorial missions as flashbacks when recalling the events to Roche. Right. So, right. So yeah, more more political garbage because of uh, all the stuff that happens to him. So um, yay, politics. And then uh, actually, so there's, there's some like information and stuff that we can get from the, the Gwent game because they the do standalone do kind of card some, game right yeah not the one that uh, exists in witcher 3 but the actual standalone card game yeah right which is great um, by the way go play it it's awesome it's really good yeah so there's like i think they kind of split there's like chess that you can get like lore drops from and then um because i've never played it this is just my assumption of what i mean oh, but there's also like uh i think scrolls or something there's the scrolls just kind of tell about like are just like kind of a a, a four-part small story about talking about how um Foltis never made wise decisions when it came to his uh his bed and that's what led him to his demise right yeah <laughs> yeah it's it like the, these little mini quest lines and then certain cards have a little little descriptions where there's like little nuggets of like lore info maybe um there's a few different places where you can gather information but yeah there's definitely these little like these little tracks of like little quest tracks that yeah you can follow uh, yeah 
And so we have like three chests here that give cool little like bits of info about them. And of course, you know, consider this for just the games because these are uh, likely just game canonical things. Um, so in chess one, unlike the other kings of the north, Foltus did not hate the elder races. On the contrary, he spoke fluent elder speech and was a connoisseur of elven poetry and dwarven Ooh. ale. Ooh. Nevertheless, he fought against the squirrels with unbridled ruthlessness. He sentenced every prisoner of war to the breaking wheel, considered some sympathetic humans as spies and confined all non-humans to segregated city quarters after all he thought reasons of state sometimes demand sacrifices dude if you don't know what uh being committed to the wheel is in the terms of like ancient torture go look it up sometime it's no good no, <laughs> no good yeah yeah uh in chasu uh Fultus claimed dozens of wartime victories often against overwhelming enemy forces. What was his secret to success? An analytical mind, swift and decisive action. The king himself used to say that he owed his many victories to an excellent memory, for he knew the names of all his officers, even many of the rank and file. He understood their strengths and weaknesses, thus enabling him to assign the right person to any task. As a result, most in Fultz's service considered themselves friends to the king and all were prepared to give their life for him. That's pretty cool because those are definitely aspects you want in a good leader. Somebody who <laughs> legitimately feels like they're invested and connected to the officers and the people below them. They're able to make good decisions. You, you don't want somebody who doesn't who seems disconnected. And then you're, every time they make a decision, all the officers are just like, well, that's a dumb thing to do because clearly this person's the right person for the job. Yeah, it definitely, I mean, definitely inspires like that motivation to fight harder. Mm -hmm. And uh, because like, I mean, it's just like, it's like, I mean, obviously it's not just like working a job, but similar to working a job when you have a manager that actually like tries to get to know you and like actually like develops interpersonal relationships, you definitely like, I, I feel like most people tend to like, work harder i know right. i do right because you feel like you're, you're seen you feel like you're respected and you're treated like a human being mm -hmm. and you feel like this person actually genuinely cares for your your success and your forward momentum with your career and everything like that and they're in a position of power over you so <clears throat> it's important that they feel that way or you feel that way towards them otherwise you just feel like well you don't really care so i don't really care mm. Yeah. Uh, so then in uh, chess three, King Foltus was not particularly religious as rulers go. He did not observe fasts nor venture out on pilgrimages. In fact, often without a second thought, he had broken all religious edicts concerning one's private affairs in the alcove. <laughs> Nevertheless, he spared no expense when it came to erecting a new temple and even agreed to a tithe, providing a approving a significant drain on the royal treasury. To what end, although he doubted the existence of the gods, he recognized that the power of the priests was very real. Any attempt to limit their influence might provoke their holy wrath. Yeah. So this is an, a, the same thing he did with the Merchants Guild, where he understood the power of that group of individuals to make things more difficult for him. He also understands the power, even if he's not sure about the thing they worship, he knows that the people themselves control a certain amount of power especially over the populace so he needs to appease them yeah and i know i think we see a lot of like examples of like rulers 
where religion is a very or the church is a very prominent figure in like mm-hmm. in, in the rulers trying to like uh remove or like limit the church yeah how bad that turns out right right yeah henry the eighth and like there's there's all sorts of uh examples throughout european history specifically where and and, and when you're a ruler there are certain things that contain power there's and and you have to understand that power only exists where people believe it exists so if people believe power exists in in the religion then it does if people believe it exists in the is the money in the markets it does and so you have to you have to understand that balance in in order to maintain your control uh, so it sounds like in those ways he was fairly wise it sounds like maybe he deserves the title except for the bedroom or for- as this like to say private affairs in the alcove <laughs> private affairs in the alcove well um, you know not everyone's perfect and he's also kind of just a grumpy dude like yeah when you come across him i mean he's very self-serious and very kind of grumpy and um and Geralt doesn't give two shits like what what he thinks of him he's just yeah. like he's like eh, whatever you're gonna do whatever you're gonna do you're gonna do to me i'm just gonna do my thing and i'm gonna leave <laughs> just, mm-hmm. you know like uh yeah so to kind of wrap this all up about him um we of course have Faltist um probably uh, i would consider the most significant uh northern ruler as far as the uh the witcher cinematic universe goes um uh and again without getting into we've talked about it before in our like episode recaps and things so without getting too in depth on him we do just see him uh several times through the the process of the two seasons and probably we'll see more of him um but of course the entire chapter of Geralt curing the striga and his interactions with with uh Fultz is there um we see him towards the end just arriving at the battle of Sodden where well, we know him mm-hmm. and King Vitsamir team up to kind of push back the Nilf guardians uh and then in the second season we see him and the other northern king uh, rulers uh, attending the be- beheading in quotes of Kahir, right? Or Which Kahir doesn't because, happen I mean, because doesn't happen, right? Yeah. Um, and then, of course, the very end, um, the meeting at Haga, though with the change of that. It, well, unless they state otherwise, but it would. I was under the impression that it was they were summoned by Tissaia rather than dim event, right? So he's he's been in the series so far. It just mm-hmm. seems like he's yet to play. A more pivotal role which we mm-hmm. will probably see in the next season depending on how much they stick to the books or not but as, as we move we'll into out. the details of the second northern war i imagine or second of guardian war i imagine we will get more of him or at least more like hear more about him like through like you know side conversations or like rumors or something at least but yeah. i imagine because of the way they've been doing it they'll probably show us more stuff with him and the other northern rulers right yeah and we do have them all pop up like they they do seem to be spending time on key powerful individuals Mm -hmm. and people that will affect how things go so yeah i can imagine that um well there you go that's that's the wise king full test and uh uh what do we have coming up next next episode which if you're live we're doing right now next because we're banking these for the future but if if you uh if you're listening at home on the audio version or what, waiting for the video to come out, we've got a very special episode for Turkey Day. 
here in the U.S. Yeah. So, of course, uh, it wouldn't be a month for us without doing uh, at least one bestiary episode. Um, And while there's no turkey monsters specifically, there are some that are kind of chicken-like. So we're talking about basilisks. Basilisks. These guys, I mean, these guys are intense. So Mm -hmm. that's coming up next. Toasty, you got anything else going on you want to share before we head out? Um, of course, as always, follow us on Twitter at the Witcher Lorecast. Um, go check out the cyberpunk lorecast that I do with Genesis. Uh, and also go check out the uh, cyberpunk, cyberpunk apostrophe D, uh, cyberpunk red actual play podcast I do with the Fumbling Four and Almighty Crit group there you go check out all that stuff and then i've got all my shows all my different lore casts i do for lots of different shows and then these shows that toast talked about and a bunch of other shows over at robotsradio.net go check that out if you're looking for more content to listen to and thanks for tuning in everybody thanks for being here if you are in the live chat don't go anywhere we're gonna just kick start the next episode right as soon as we're done with this one but if you're listening at home until next time stay safe on the path we'll see you guys later Thanks for tuning in to the Witcher Lorecast. We'd love to hear about your experiences with the games and the books and the TV series and all your thoughts on everything. Please check out the Robots Radio Discord and follow us on Twitter at Witcher Lorecast. You've been listening to a Robots Radio podcast. Smart shows for interesting people. Check out all the shows at robotsradio.net.